podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Jones! Bowden! He's got it! England have won the World Cup by the barest of margins! Stokes flashes it away through the covers for four and England have won the match! Fourteenth of June, twenty twenty-two, the evening of, and we're all still catching our breath. I'm just thinking, wow, <laughs> what have I just witnessed? What have seventeen thousand people in Trent Bridge, all of whom got entry for free, just witnessed? What have potentially millions of people watching on telly uh, or listening on the radio have witnessed? An extraordinary run chase by England, and isn't it funny, Simon, that? Trent Bridge seems to bring the best out of English batsmanship, doesn't it? Twice they've broken the world record in the ODI format at Trent Bridge. And now this, 299 to win in, what, 75 overs? And they, well, I mean, I'm sorry, they pissed it, didn't they? They absolutely waltzed it. And it was the most thrilling thing to watch. It must have been wonderful to be at. It was a remarkable day. It was an I was there day, I think. Uh, you're right. Uh, Trent Bridge does lend itself to that sort of uh, batsmanship, really, because, I mean, the pitch is good. It's got a bit of pace in it, a bit of bounce, and the outfield lightning fast, you know, like a ice rink, whatever, glass table, uh, billiard table, whatever you want to say. It, it was just impossible to hold England today once two players got in. It was a remarkable day. I mean, you said actually an interesting thing you said there, Yoz. You said 17,000 people. There actually were quite a few empty seats today. So I don't know where the missing people were. Uh, it's possible that people you know, went for tickets and couldn't get the day off work or whatever or thought they'd come down later after work. Well, if you're going to come down after work and you had a five o'clock finish, uh, bad luck because <laughs> the game was done by 5.25. I mean, if you said that at tea, that the game would be over in an hour and 25 minutes, you probably would have thought, well, that's because England had, had another dramatic batting collapse, but n- none of it. I mean, that period of play after tea was just incredible hitting. Just just a you know, remarkable day. Um and here's to England's positivity if it's going to continue like that. I mean, yeah, there are going to be games where you can't play like that, surely. I mean, you, you can't you probably can't play that on slow, low wickets in Pakistan. But it, today it was just great fun. And, you know, it, it, it's been five magnificent days. Forget the future, forget the past or whatever. You could just enjoy what we saw over the last five days. You mentioned five days there. And, and before the test, I did this podcast, uh, The Barest of Margins, with the England dietitian and the trainer, and they talked about making sure that the players got through the, the five days with the right sort of food and the right sort of sleep and the right sort of relaxation and obviously topping up their nutrition all the time. What did they give Bearstow for tea? That's what I want to know, <laughs> because whatever it, it was, I want some of it. It was just a, a transformation. A guy who you know really hasn't set the world alight so far since coming back from the IPL, in fact, he, he looked as if he was still playing in the IPL in some slightly tricky situations. Well, perhaps, thank God, he did. He does think he's still playing in the IPL today because it was pure thunder, thunderous. I'll tell you what the word was, really, brutal. It was it was brutality. And that's the word that uh, my old scorer associate, Harry Sharp, he was the scorer of Middlesex for many years, a bit of a blocker as a player, 
but a great character as the scorer. And there was a couple of times in my career when Mike Gatting just took whoever it was to the cleaners with a similar sort of innings, not quite the same distant hitting, but the same sort of savage cutting and pulling and so on. And uh, he used to come in, Harry Sharp used to come in after a day like that, after Gatting had decimated the bowlers and just say, brutal, bloody brutal. And it, it was it was just unceremoniously destructive, almost sadistic in its destructiveness. Yeah, and, and it was the cleanness of the hitting, I think. It, it, the sound off the bat, it, it was it just, every time he hit it, you knew it was four or six. You, you didn't think, oh, is he... Is he Half got that or whatever that you know you know sometimes in one day cricket T Twenty cricket you know someone will muscle one over the boundary and you think he hasn't quite got that he slightly clothed it but I don't know, big bats shorter boundaries whatever strong players uh, huge backswing but there was, there was none of that I mean it was very little of that at all and there was, I said there was none of it there was there was one thick edge through the slip cordon and that was about it everything else seemed to come. Yeah, right out the middle of the bat, and I think it was it was the clean striking that was the feature of of Johnny Bairstow's play. I mean, he's played some fine innings. Yeah, he's played a couple of decent innings you know, recently in Test matches. He played one in Sydney for you know not so long ago in the in the Ashes series. He played one in the West Indies as well. But the the, the cleanness of this striking, and you know, I think Michael Vaughan made the point afterwards. You know, England are a very strong fifty over team. They only needed fifty overs to knock off the runs. Two hundred ninety nine. So it was interesting listening to Bairstow afterwards. As as well because he said he said well you know it was 160 off 38 overs at tea that's that's no trouble these days uh, <laughs> I mean you know it was, it was so nonchalant I mean it used to be you know 160 after tea on the last day of a test match no chance you got no chance of, of winning a game from there Tom Latham he said at tea yeah we thought we had a good chance of winning you know four down if we could got, get another wicket and that was the key really for New Zealand they just couldn't break that fifth wicket stand not in time anyway by the time Bairstow was out the game uh, was over uh, but mm. that, I think that was the fascinating thing it was England were walking that knife edge I know they had folks to come but they got a bit of a tail and if, if either of those two had got out it would have been quite difficult I think for England uh, to win that match but you know once Bairstow did get out it, you know folks could come in and just put the cherry on on top of the very delicious cake I mean, more boundaries in this match yours than any other test match in history <laughs> astonishing yeah, yeah it, it is and it's a measure of a few things, certainly the power of modern batsmanship, the ambition and, and adventure of modern batsmanship as well, uh, the, the fast outfield, slightly short boundaries, uh, the, 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 the boundary sort of cuts in at the corner near the pavilion with the new stand, mm. so it's a, it's a really short boundary there. Remarkable, you know, you, you get 553 in the first innings, you snooze, you lose. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so wow uh, and the interesting that uh, Bairstow and pulling I mean I thought his pull shots off his nose end today were, were so destructive and, and brilliant uh, bat speed uh, uh, it was absolutely incredible and I, I remember when he first came into test cricket he struggled a bit with the short ball I think I remember Keemar wrote Keemar Roach from West Indies giving him some trouble yeah. at Trent Bridge of, of all places yeah. and, and then I, I remember being down at the practising practice session a few years later when Bairstow was recalled to the team and he was still struggling a bit with his pull shots and I think it was Paul Collingwood had uh, one of those sort of ramps that you flick the ball off for slip catching and he put it in the net and he was hurling rubber balls sort of incredibles off this ramp 
making them rise up at Bearstow from short range to get him practising his pull shot. And I just stood there for about 10 minutes in total awe at the speed. It was like being, Bearstow was like being in a coconut shy. You know, this ball was being hurled by Collingwood, flying off the ramp to towards his head. And he was flailing around with the bat and whacking these balls into all, all to all parts. And in, in some of the shots were a bit a bit top edgy. But I thought then there's a guy who's tried to address an issue and really gone for it in in a very intense way. And so now you know you bowl short to him, the bat comes flying through. He's so powerful anyway, isn't he? And even a top edge goes for six. Yeah, well, you can't play the short ball in Test cricket. You're not going to have a, a successful Test career, are you? I mean, let, let, let's face it. You have to be able to play the, the short ball. So, you, you, if you have got a weakness against it, you have to go away and, and work at it. And yeah, the ball was just disappearing today into the into the stands. Seven, he hit seven sixes, and New Zealand came out after tea, and they tried that sort of leg theory. Matt Henry banging it in and the thing is it's quite a short, as you say it's quite a short boundary to the new stand and they were, they were just disappearing straight out the middle of the bat and and New Zealand looked a, a well-beaten side a long way before the end now here's something Yoz some, you know feature of this match and you know in features of, of previous games as well which we might want to talk about is that New Zealand were a bowler down today they they had an, an injury and Carl Jameson you know couldn't bowl in the second and he was slightly hampered with the bat as well he had to come in at number 10 and he didn't bowl in the last part of of England's first hang on hang well. on a minute hampered with the bat I, I have to question that before I know what you're going to say but first I just want to question the hampered with the bat bit because Carl Jameson didn't appear to be hampered with the bat. They both bounced to him and he was throwing the bat as if it was the last thing on earth that he had to do was to hit the ball out of the park. Why was he doing that? 60 not out, Mitchell at the other end. Why didn't he play for him? Especially if he had a bad back. Why didn't he just you know, sway out of the way, duck out of the way, fend it off, play a few singles and, and get the strike to the other man instead of swishing and swashing and getting out very quickly. So I don't quite buy that he was restricted with the bat, but carry on. Well, the, the reason he might have been not, not ducking and swaying is because he had a bad back, because he, he didn't have that back. That well, he ducked one. Well, he ducked one ball. Well, every, everything was short at him, wasn't it? So, you you know, you got in the end. And, I mean, he is quite an aggressive player. And we'll, we'll, let, we'll come to New Zealand's batting in just a moment, because I thought it was pretty poor. But, um, yeah, so what, what about substitutes in test cricket? Mm. Every other sport, every other sort of top level sport, most other sport, you know, have substitutes, doesn't it? And cricket, it's funny how cricket is sort of held on, held on, no substitutes for injuries. It, well, it, but it does now have substitutes for concussion, doesn't it? And it, it has substitutes for COVID, but not for injury. I don't know how what the protocols you know, could be. I mean, you, you know, you, it is open to uh, cynicism, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, it is potentially open yeah. to abuse. Uh, cricket's always been, you know, about keeping eleven players on the field and keeping them fit uh, throughout the game. Yeah, I can think of the first Ashes Test in two thousand and nineteen, where you know Jimmy Anderson uh, went in the fetlock after about half an hour of the first day, so England had to play with 10 men really didn't they you had to play with 10 against Australia's 11 for the for the whole of the game for almost five days uh, you know you could say well it's it's about fitness and but you know every other sport had substitution I mean there was a time when football didn't have substitutions uh you know rugby the same so but it's all the games have, have moved on I mean I was thinking on on the way back uh this evening you know could you have a situation where 
you know, if a player was out of the game uh, through injury, you have some sort of time period before someone else can come in. So you don't have straight away, you know, can't just one, one guy walk off, another guy walk on like, nice and fresh. You might have, I don't know, a session or something like that before you can bring another player on if you're in the field, say. It's just something I was thinking about. Um, because, you know, they do, it is an intense game. They do play a lot. And, you know, fast bowlers, you know, you, there are a lot of injuries among uh, quick bowlers. Anyway, it's just a thought. What about substitutions in cricket? Is, uh, am I talking at my hat? Is it nonsense or is, is it a possibility? No, I, I, think the st- I, I think it's a perfectly reasonable point. And the stakes are very high now and uh, the, the, uh, the battles are intense. So it, 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 is, it is a reasonable point. In a way, it does, it can massively sway the balance of a match. I mean, you know, the thing is, test cricket is supposed to be, I heard someone saying this the other day, test cricket is an endurance test. And it is. Uh, that's exactly why it's it's five days of cricket. And that's why it's called a test match as well. So I'm not totally bought into the idea of, of substitutions because, you know, you could just go a little bit lame. And, uh, and sometimes it's psychosomatic, actually, isn't it, as well? You you're a bowler, you're not really doing that well, you're feeling a bit of a liability, start feeling a bit achy and oh, I need to go off, Captain, you know, I've, I'm injured. And that's convenient, you know, because you can bring somebody fresh on. So I'm not entirely convinced. I think it, there has to be some kind of uh, criteria. And if someone is clearly quite badly injured, as in Anson has to limp off in the fourth over on the first day, then there's a reasonable case. I think if it's if it looks like it's a convenient injury because you you want to play somebody else who's a fresher, then you've got to look out uh, look out for that. But it, it's certainly worth more discussion. Yeah, I mean that, that's that's why I said there might be a delay. You know, you, you can't just you know bring a guy on straight away or a woman on straight away. You know, you, there might have to be a session delay before you can swap one in, swap one out. You know, to get away from that sort of like slightly cynical uh, injury that you think, oh yeah, it's, it's it's an injury of convenience. I mean, it happened to New Zealand in the last Test match as well, didn't it? I mean, Colin de Grande had to go off, and you know he's out of the series. You know, clearly, it was a a serious injury, um, or certainly a serious enough injury to keep him out of the next game, out of the series. Then that hampered New Zealand as well. That that you know they they have suffered in this series. Uh, you know, even if Jameson had played, you know, England might still have won. The ball was disappearing, but you know there was a much greater burden on the main three. Uh, Tim South yeah. Tim South had a really poor game, didn't he? He, st- he struggled with the ball yeah. a lot. Uh, took a good slip catch today, but I mean his his, his match figures. I mean, uh, well, they, they draw the curtains across them really. Uh, Tim, if, mm. you know, over two hundred, one for over two hundred from forty three overs. I mean, it was it was Pongo. He was he was getting he was started started awfully today as well, didn't it? Bowling yeah. to to Alex Lee's three fours in the first over, two lovely juicy R volleys whacked to a cover boundary, and actually it was Lee's who. Who got England going, really, didn't he? I think he's obviously being told, play shots. You know, it's not about survival. It's about being positive and looking to be, looking to get the scoreboard going while you're out there and, you know, without being reckless. And, and it's, well, it certainly worked in this test for him. Yeah, it did. It did help England at the start. I think it sort of lifted the crowd as well. Although that was, you know, soon there was soon a bit of deflation when Zach Crawley was out caught by Southie at, at, at slip for naught. He, he he has one of those outside edges, doesn't he, <laughs> Zach Crawley? And the ball just seems to find it uh, very regularly. I don't know what England do about him. 
at, at the top of the order. I mean, if you win in a way, you can you can carry players for a bit longer. And yeah, there there is a general trend these days to keep a player on the side for for a bit longer. Um, you know, is, that's an issue. Um, you know, England in general. Uh, it's, it's been it's been two fantastic test matches, two fantastic victories from England uh, based on uh, the quality of Root and the brilliance of Bairstow and, and Stokes today and Pope. You know, so Pope was a big step forward, but you know they still have. Um, you know, one or two issues at the top. Crawley, obviously, one of them. Uh, they'd love to see him uh, get a score. The, the spinner is another issue. Uh, I mean, that's a long. There's a, a long-term solution to that. There's not a short-term uh, solution. And you know, I suppose you know, eventually, sooner, probably sooner rather than later, they are going to have to replace and and do something about uh, Jimmy and and Stuart Broad, aren't they? I mean, that that's that's obvious, and they've got a lot of bowlers injured. So. Uh, enjoy it because it's it's been a fantastic uh, couple of test matches but there are you know there's still issues and they're not they're not a perfect team not by any means but actually you know you can having that sort of that positive approach has i think just lifted everyone hasn't it the the, the backroom change has made a difference and but you know can you sustain it over a, a consistent period that, that's going to be the the challenge for england and and also they you know they they they're playing it's new zealand side who are probably on a bit of a dip after winning the world test championship last year you know a few retirements and you know they have injuries to, to key bowlers in this in the last two test matches which have has definitely undermined their cause but you know they, they were in it at tea uh, it was you know it was a game that you, it was it was hard hard to call at tea you know whether it was england's draw or new zealand's but i'm that amazing half an hour 40 minutes of cricket it was just absolutely stunning some of the most uh, stunning test cricket i think i've seen well you know 2019 at headingley but and also go back to cape town that incredible partnership uh, between stokes and and, and bearstone in cape town when they put on 399 now this one was a 179 in 20 overs um just amazing if you were there Another great day for the statisticians today. And, and Johnny Bairstow nearly broke the English test record for the quickest century of all time in a test match. That record, of course, is held by Gilbert Jessop, who made 100 in 77 minutes, actually, in an Ashes test match in 1902. I'm just uh, looking back into one of my books, actually, The uh, History of the Ashes, and um, just looking at a little bit of a, an account of Gilbert Jessup, who, of course, came from your favourite county, Gloucestershire. Um, and it says when he came into bat, enter Jessup, the croucher, as he was known, for his wide, hunched stance, a big-hitting Bothamesk all-rounder who loved eating beef. He was described in Gloucestershire circles as a human catapult who wrecks the roofs of distant towns when set in his assault. He was completely fearless, as evidenced by the fact that he never wore a box when he batted. Oh. <laughs> he once clubbed uh, Yorkshire. For, imagine that. He once clubbed Yorkshire for 100 in 45 minutes. Uh, he was basically a 2020 specialist, you know, a, a century before 2020 was born. And he, he made this 100 against the Australians in 77 minutes which in terms of time is the fastest 100 in Ashes history. And 
clearly Zoltz or some other statisticians have figured out that it was a 76 ball 100. Yeah, that's so right. Bairstow missed it by one. Yeah, that's right. He's, I, I'm looking at the stats now. Yeah, he's in there at 76 balls. Uh, the fastest 100 uh, out of interest was by Brendan McCullum. Um, remember him? Have you heard of him, Brendan McCullum? Mm. Uh, 54 balls <laughs> yeah 54 balls Viv yeah. is second on 56 and then you go down the list and we get to Jessup 76 balls I'm just looking at the scorecard from that match he actually hit 17 fours and no sixes in that match at the Oval against Australia but he did come in at 48 for 5 and he was dismissed at 187 for seven. So he made 104 in the time he was at the crease. And it was a remarkable victory for England. I mean, England still went on. They went on to win the game, despite the fact that they were really struggling. And then there was the famous, you know, Rhodes and Hurst will we'll get, get them in singles. And there was that partnership for the 10th for the wicket that, that took England over the line to, to help them win that test match. But no sixes. Um, yeah, well, there's no there's a reason for that. And that is because sixes weren't sort of really invented. Well, there wasn't a boundary rope that you had to clear until 1912. Before that, a six was only recorded if you hit it out of the ground. If you hit it into the stand, it only counted as four. And it was only in 1912 they introduced you know, a boundary rope or a boundary line. And once you hit it over that, it was recorded as six. What do they need now? Do you think <laughs> they need they need a twelve or something? I mean, some of these some, Stokes, some of his sixes that, that he hit in this game, sort of in the second tier, and and Bearstow as well. They they're certainly worth eight, I reckon. Well, I remember Adam Holyoke when he was captain of Surrey, when he played played for England. He said that if you hit the ball out of the ground, you should get twelve runs. Um, and you know that would in, in, encourage players <laughs> to go for the big shot. Well, they don't need a great deal of encouragement. Um, well, I, we talked about having substitutes in, in cricket. Perhaps they, all, you know, they, they, we're always sort of tinkering, I suppose, with the, the the laws of the game. Perhaps if you do hit the ball out of the ground, you you, you could get ten or, or twelve. Um, some grounds obviously a bit a bit smaller than us. I I'm pretty sure that from my seat that Will Jacks hit uh, David Payne of Gloucestershire out of the ground at the Oval in a T20 match a couple of weeks ago. I, I was watching at uh, deep third, right back in the stand, and it went over fine leg, and I think he hit it into the road, in, into Kennington Oval Road, out, outside the ground at the Oval, over deep back with square leg. I'm, I'm pretty sure he did, which you know, it was a sizable hit because they, they were playing right in the, in the middle of the, of the square at the Oval. Massive blow. So, yeah, I think that should be worth 12, yeah. unless they're playing against Gloucestershire, of course. <laughs> There's Liam Livingston's hit a couple of twelves yeah. in the last year or yeah. so, hasn't he? And I tell you who else has Tim David uh, playing in the hundred hit an absolute monster at Lords. I think it was in the final of the hundred actually, which went over the mound stand, pretty much matched by Paul Sterling, who also hit one in the same direction, a sort of pick up off your legs with extra varoom. And um, it just they just sailed onto the roof of the mound stand. And I think one of them did actually end up in the Wellington Road. So there are some monster hits. No one, of course, since Albert Trott in, I think it was 1899, has hit one over the Lord's Pavilion. I've seen a couple close. Uh, in fact, I've been hit into the, the second tier of the Lord's Pavilion by Johnny's dad, David Bairstow, who uh, launched my slower ball into the members on the second tier one time. Uh, but... It, no one's actually ever hit it over over the uh, over the period apart from Albert Trot in 1899. Anyway, uh, there is 
there is some big hitting and who'd, who'd want to be a bowler? And it's uncanny. You mentioned Brendan McCullum there. It's uncanny the resemblance that this New England seems to be making uh, of the New Zealand side that came here in 2015, uh, captained by McCullum and very much piloted by him. Now, you know, his influence is sort of on the balcony or in the dressing room rather than on the field, but it can still be really felt. Yeah, actually, it's worth just talking about New Zealand themselves, actually, New Zealand's batting in their second innings. As you look, you look at their scorecard, they were bowled out for 284. I thought they could have, you're right, I mean, we, we did touch on this earlier, they could have played it a bit, uh, a bit, a bit cannier uh, this morning. You had Henry and Jameson and Bolt all out hitting. Uh, both Henry and Jameson to short balls and then Belt sort of whacking Anderson uh, to mid-off. And actually at the other end, there was Mitchell, 62 not out. I mean, this, this bloke, poor bloke, he made 252 runs in the match once out and he ends up on the losing side. I mean, that is a remarkable stat in itself. England never looked like getting him out. Perhaps they thought they had enough runs, the way Bolt played, say, that last uh, big stroke. You know, they thought they had 300 in the bank. Perhaps they thought, you know, that was enough. Um, it... it that that sort of score was a decent sized score, but on this surface, yeah. on this surface with this outfield, it was it was worth you know less on another ground if if you know what I mean. It, it look- well, I, I suppose that yeah, and I think also it depends what happens in a way. Bowlers don't bowl as well if they're being put under the pump like the, the England batsmen were this afternoon. You you don't exploit the help in the pitch nearly as effectively. You're almost kind of slightly intimidated by the way you're running in. You're all exasperated and in the end pretty forlorn. And it, it's these small margins, isn't it? If, if New Zealand had got, say, another wicket at 93 for five yeah. or 100 for five, you can see that the, a renewed vigour and rejuvenation of the New Zealand attack and suddenly someone like Southie comes on having been, you know, pumped around for quite a few boundaries earlier on with, you know, a, a fresh optimism, finds a bit of help. There were, the old ball did do yeah. things. And you find that happens more if the bowlers are confident and the batsmen are tentative. Yeah. And it was the reverse. Yeah. Yeah, they just they just couldn't hold England. Oh, but but I thought New Zealand frittered away wickets in their innings. I mean, you can make a good argument uh, out for the fact that uh, the England didn't bowl New Zealand out. New Zealand sort of effectively bowled themselves out in the, in their innings. I mean, all all ten wickets uh, were, were were tossed away. I think, and, and I think that's that's fair. I mean, two of them are run outs, uh, which you know was pretty poor. And if you just put a highlights reel together, just cut them all together, bang, 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 bang. You say, hold on a second, what was what was going on here? You know, there were there, there were no wickets sort of pitched up, nicked to slip, pitched up, nicked to the keeper, anything like that. It was, you know, it was big shots being played, caught in the ring, run outs, short balls wafting at them. And so New Zealand might want to look at that. I don't know whether that was the McCullum influence, you know, that they wanted to play in, in an aggressive way as well, you know, the, a New Zealand way. Um, but, it, you know, it didn't work for them. And they... They, mm. 284 all out. It was a decent enough uh, second innings total, 300 to win, 72 overs. But England showed them how to do it. Their, their hitting was much, well, obviously it was, it was just much cleaner and, and more more deadly, more ruthless. It was an absolutely ruthless batting uh, display from Bairstow and Stokes. But, you know, at 93 for four, the game looked almost over. I remember just watching, actually, Stokes walk down the steps and I thought, this is the game now. This, this, yeah, England can still win if this man, uh, you know, does well, and you know there we go. But if they get him out, then it, it changes. Right, you know, same as Lords really, wasn't it? If De Grandem hadn't overstepped, 
England would have been five down there and, and struggling. But there, you know, there weren't those sort of chances this afternoon. It was it was such clean hitting from both Stokes and Bester. What did you make of Stokes saying at the end? I think I think it must be just the adrenaline going through him at the end, where he said that he, he said, you know, the two, Ashes 2019 World Cup final. This was better. Um, I, mean, I don't know how you quantify it, no. but I, I, it, it, it's always more. It, it's always the most recent. Yeah. Uh, success, which seems the most uh, the, the most exciting in your mind, but I think if you put them all together, I think that Stokes hundred at Headingley in the Test match. Well, I I actually uh, added up some sort of imaginary points for that innings for the quality of the attack, for the situation, for having to farm the strike with the number eleven, for the length of the innings, for the fact the pitch was helping the bowlers quite a bit, for the the situation as well in the in the game itself and the situation in the series as well. Uh, factoring all that in, I made that marginally better than Graham Gooch's 100 at Headingley in 1991 when he dominated the second innings against West Indies and won a test match for England there and against a phenomenal West Indies attack. I, I made Stokes' innings in 2019 at Headingley the best there's ever been by an English batsman in kind of modern times. Uh, Peterson's innings of 186 in Mumbai would be up there very close as well. World Cup, well, that was just an extraordinary sequence of events in a way. Rather than Stokes' own innings, it was the the bolt stepping on the rope. It was the ricochet off the bat. It, it was all sorts of other silly circumstances. Obviously, it was the super over uh, as well and England winning on boundaries at the end. Uh, so many bizarre incidents makes that I think the greatest game, but the greatest innings is that Stokes at Headingley. This one yeah. from Bearstow, yeah, it's got to be up there. It's got to be in the top five, along alongside Peterson's 186 in, in Mumbai for sure. Uh, perhaps yeah, not quite as, as heroic and mercurial as the innings of, of Stokes at Headingley in 2019. How, how do you see it? Yeah. I mean, you were commentating yeah. then, and of course, in a way... It was almost today a repeat of your great commentary line at the start of this podcast because it was Stokes hitting the winning boundary through square cover. Do you know, it's funny, I, th- I thought of that actually when he did it because it was a very similar shot and a very uh, similar reaction at the end. He, he sort of held one arm up in the air, he smashed it through the offside and then stood stood there and just held one arm off it, up. It was it, it was quite similar actually to yeah, the winning runs uh, at Headingley. I mean, I, I commentated on Peterson's um, unbelievable innings in Mumbai. I suppose the thing was about the Mumbai one is it didn't have the, 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 the there were England supporters there, but it didn't have the same sort of atmosphere at the ground because he was flaying the the Indian bowlers all around the ground. But I mean, Alistair Cook was I was talking about it to him on air and off air, and we were talking about that innings, and we talked about degree of difficulty, and he he said that they were netting um, on the day before the game and they were about four away. So the, it was a similar sort of surface. He said, you know, it was really hard. The pitch, you know, the ball was ragging. It was really tough. And then Peterson went out and, and played an, an unbelievable innings um, on, on, a, on a, I mean, in the same test match, for example, Monty bowled a, a absolutely stunning delivery to get rid of Tendulkar that was sort of dr- sort of drifted in, uh, that leg stump and hit the top of his off stump. You know, it, it was that it was that hard to score. And although Alistair got hundred as well, a bit more workmanlike, still a fine innings on on that surface. So I think yeah, that Peterson's innings was one of the great innings to come up with that in India on those sorts of pitches. 
against the spinners that India had. You know, talk about, but I think it's about degree of difficulty, wasn't it? And there was a different sort of degree of difficulty uh, today, but the batting conditions were extremely uh, favourable to, to Bairstow. But, I, I mean, he still produced something absolutely stunning. And I think that, yeah, you're right, the Stokes innings at heading, it was the moment, wasn't it? It was the pressure, it was the situations, all the other factors. It was the slow start and then the change of gears and the smacking it into the stands, you know, the reverse sweep into the West Stand against uh, Nathan Lyon. That's the one thing I think about the Stokes innings at heading this, and it still sort of nags away at me a bit, is the fact that if Australia had reviewed that one or had a review left, they'd have won <laughs> the game. Do, do, do you know what I mean? You know, they, they, they made that stupid mistake a, a few minutes before when they reviewed one that wasn't out, and if they still had that review left, you know, they would have won the match. And actually, they... Of course, there were only two reviews then, weren't there? But now there are three because we've got one home umpire and one away umpire. You know, if they'd had three reviews, that you know, they would have won the game as well. So, uh, but it doesn't take anything away from Stokes's innings at heading. It was still a magnificent innings, but England probably, you know, well, they wouldn't have won the game because they'd have reviewed it and Ben Stokes would have been given out. It's, it's hard to quantify, isn't it? Uh, but uh, you, you're right. Recent, <laughs> yeah, it is fun. Recency, you're right. Re- recency tends to sort of dominate people's thinking, doesn't it? But I, I think, yeah, this, the... I think I think he was talking about the feeling. I think they're talking about the feeling afterwards. I suppose it's, it's because he was captain. Well, he's captain, today, isn't, isn't he? Yeah, yeah, I was going to yeah. say, and he must think yeah. that he must think that captaining Test cricket is a breeze. Matthew Potts must think Test cricket's pretty <laughs> easy as well. Although he hasn't taken many wickets in this Test match, he's played two one two, so uh, he, he must be loving it as well. Now, what's the uh, the upshot of this? Obviously, England have won the series with one to play, beating the world champions, and I think lifted themselves off the bottom of the World Test Championship table. Is that right? Hurrah! England are no longer bottom of the World Test Championship table. They have up to eighth. Bangladesh are ninth. And New Zealand are seventh. England's percentage is still pretty low. 25% uh, points ratio. Australia, 75%. England played 15 matches. Australia played eight. It's all based on percentages. South Africa, second at the moment. India, uh, third. Um, can England qualify? I'm just—it's difficult to do the the arithmetic, really. If they if they won all their matches, they might be able to push up the table. Could they drag South Africa down? Could they drag India down? Could they sneak in? Difficult to tell um, with with the percentage uh, situation. But you just keep on winning. But Bangladesh bottom now. England no longer bottom of the World Test Championship uh, table. I, I would say I'd think probably the favourites of the final: Australia, India. And next year at Lords, um, but you know, plenty of cricket to to be played uh, before then. It's been a long day, Yoz. It's been yeah. a long day and a, a yes, long you test your, match. You better get your sleep in. Yeah, I know <laughs> it, it has. Hardly any interruptions and any well, a little bit. Uh, one day was lost about forty minutes play, but uh, for those uh, great supporters of five day cricket, another very strong argument. Five day test cricket, very strong argument uh, given today at Trent Bridge, England now change tempo briefly for three one-day internationals in the Netherlands with Owen Morgan's team. And just just as a little, uh, I don't know, parity for, for that little tournament, uh, I actually watched Owen batting the other day for Middlesex in the Vitality Blast against Surrey, that needle uh, across the river derby between the two, which Surrey actually comfortably won. And Jason Roy... Well, he batted well. He scored about 85 off hardly any deliveries. Looked very good. I'll tell you who looked very good. Jamie Overton. Look out for Jamie Overton in one-day cricket with the bat. He hit some stonking shots uh, towards the end of the Surrey innings and then bowled a, a fiery spell with the ball as well. Of course, he, he bounced out his brother, Craig, the other day. And poor Craig 
suffer concussion. So that's a, a sort of weird situation for the family to be in. But um, Morgan came into bat at number three, actually, for, for Middlesex. He's had a few ish injury issues, and I thought he looked a little bit out of sorts. And I know that we've said that about Morgan a number of times before, but he's struggling a bit for runs at the moment. And he was late on the ball. He was facing Chris Jordan, who was bowling pretty well, pretty lively. But I just thought Morgan looks as if he's struggling a bit. And he didn't get the bat on the ball much. He, he only scored a couple of runs and then tried to pull Jamie Overton and was late on it and skied one to deep square leg and toddled off. Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean... I, I hope he recovers his form. I'm his biggest fan, but I don't know. He hasn't made a T2050 for some time. Maybe the Netherlands will be a, a slightly easier ride and uh, can, can help him just ease his way back in. And I hope so, but watch this space, I suppose. Well, there are there are plenty of you know who are knocking on the door. Um, so many good white ball cricketers that England have. Of course, Owen Morgan has the benefit of being uh, the captain, sort of the overlord, really. The sort of um, the master strategist. Um, but can you just have a I don't know? Can you have a sort of Mike Brearley esque type figure in a one day team uh, these days? Do you, you know, or you know you've got to be worth your place, haven't you, as a, as a batter as well? So yeah, there's the challenge for him to to regain his form and and, and dominance uh, with the bat. I think that's it, Yoz. It's been a long Test match. It's been a brilliant game. It's it's been a long day, but what and what a day! Fantastic. It's time to have a bit of a well. The, the England white ball matches start on Friday, but I'm going to have a bit of a break from the, the, the test match uh, scene and look forward to the, the next game at, at Headingley um, on on Thursday week where England look to win the series 3-0 if they possibly can and try to rise even more up that world uh, test championship table. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, well done to England's nutritionists for getting England through uh, this five days with such a triumphant finish. And as I said at the start, the Barry and Margins podcast is, is available now to listen to to see what England do really eat during a five-day test match. And I think we should finish, Simon, with your commentary, with your commentary from Headingley 2019, but transposed into Trent Bridge 2022. Thanks for listening, everyone. Stokes flashes it away through the covers for four, and England have won the match. Podcast Network.